Father in heaven, uh, we're grateful for this word, this book. And we're grateful that we can trust it because it comes from you. That it's true in every part of it. And every word of it. So we can rest upon it. We rest upon it when we give thanks for the birth of babies. We rest upon it when we grieve. And even now, God, we rest in it knowing that you'll teach us, anticipating that you'll help us, anticipating that you'll, through it, nurture us and enable us to persevere, that you'll bring grace through it. So I pray that be true. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Luke and chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I'm just going to read two verses, verses 15 and 16. Luke and chapter 5, please. Hear the word of God. But now, even more the reports about him, and that is about Jesus, went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now remember, if God will help me, I'm hoping during this season of Lent uh, to consider uh, the life of Jesus. Not simply the life of Jesus, but the life of Jesus given for us. Think of it. The life of Jesus given for us. He gave his life in obedience to his Father for us. That is to say, his obedience counts as ours so that we can be recipients of his righteousness, his life. And so during this time, we're thinking about the life of Jesus for us, his obedience, his obedience that counts for our obedience. Where we disobeyed, he obeys. Where Adam disobeyed, he obeys. And he then for us, his life of obedience for us. But also, we consider his life given for us in his death. Because our sin results in our being guilty before God. Our being guilty before God results in our being rightful recipients of the wrath of God. Jesus, in his death, his life given for us, in his death, takes the guilt of our sin and exhausts for us the wrath of God. That's the great exchange, isn't it? We give him our sin, he gives us our righteousness. He takes our guilt and forgives us. I said all that very slowly. um, Not because I assume you're tired from a lack of sleep. But because that's it, you see. That's the gospel. And, 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 And you need to take that. I need to take that. And I need to spend the rest of my life realizing its implications. So for some people who come here, I know... I've been told that I start, um, you know, 
with big points. And that was a big point that I just started with. So I want you to, want you to take that. And we're going to work out an implication of that today. But, but we need to know that. You see, this, this you know, I, I don't really care if you understand Lent. But I do care that you understand the life of Jesus given for us. You see, it's all about that. That's it. He for us. And so today I want to work out an implication of he for us. Uh, that's, that's, I think, profound. Not because I'm working it out, but because it's true. Uh, and uh, it's profound for me. I trust it will be profound for you. And it comes uh, in Jesus as he prays in his life of prayer. What I, what I read in these two verses comes on the heels of a healing. Jesus had healed a man with leprosy. Now, as you know, leprosy, this dreaded skin disease or dreaded skin diseases in this first century would cause people... Um, in the culture of the day, in fact, this goes all the way back to when the law was given to Moses, that, that lepers were considered to be unclean. Now, in the one sense, they were unclean because it was such a, uh, an infectious kind of thing, so that people had to be kept away. If you had leprosy, you had to be sort of kept away from the other so it wouldn't invade, it wouldn't go through the whole community. But, but also, it was used by God as an, as an illustration, really, that that to be in his presence meant you had to be clean. And so lepers were used, and this leprosy was used as an illustration. They went out to, outside of the camp in one sense to protect everyone. But on the other, they were, they were known to be unclean. That's what they would say of themselves, were unclean, were outside. So they were removed from the community, the community of worship, even. And so when they would become clean no longer infectious or, or no longer or, or even healed, then they would go to the priest and the priest would pronounce them clean and so they could rejoin, if you will, the community. Now that's what had just happened, this healing. And, it, you know, when, you, when a leper was healed, it was more than just that. It was that. But it was more than that. It was a, it was a restoration to, to the community. And restoration to the temple and restoration to worship. But, 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 but Jesus told the person he had healed, as he often did, don't tell anybody. And, and, and that's curious to us. But, but at least we know that in the way that God works by way of providence, that, that would keep the word from spreading so much that, 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 that the, the, the opposition against Jesus wouldn't mount too quickly. But, but this person told. And, and so what happened is that Jesus found himself with great crowds coming to him. And then we'll see as we read along in the weeks to come, that we read along that there'll be opposition increasing in Jesus as well. But the trouble notwithstanding, a Jesus in the midst, if you can feel this, picture this, in the midst of, of the crowds gathering, uh, he, uh, he went and uh, withdrew, it says, to desolate places uh, and... And he prayed. Now, now what, I, what I get from that, obviously, is that Jesus prayed. But this is kind of a summary statement. You can just tell the way that it's written, the way that Luke puts it out. He says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and, and pray. When these kinds of things would happen, Jesus would withdraw to desolate places. Not just one place, but places, various places. He would do it various times. And, uh, and he would pray. That's, this, that's the sense of it here. And so Jesus Prayed often. In fact, as we read through the scripture, we find uh, these kinds of occasions. For instance, back in Mark in chapter 1, if you look there, if you're able, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we read this. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, 
King Jesus uh, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Similar kind of thing. He'd just come off of this lots of healing. He'd healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then everybody came. And he had healed many people and, and cast out demons. Uh, and so you get the sense of he had ex- expended energy, great spiritual power. And, uh, and, and, and so he went off to pray. Now, what I find fascinating is that he rose very early in the morning while it was still dark. All those words together, he could have said he, he rose in the morning, but, but the Luke wants us to know it was still dark. It was very early in the morning. And you think, doesn't Jesus need sleep? Well, the answer is yes, he does. He was a, a man, experienced the same weakness as we. So he needed sleep. The scripture says that God doesn't sleep or slumber. But Jesus, as God in the flesh, if you will, he needed sleep. But he also needed communion with God and help from him. And so even after such busyness, if you will, he went off early, early in the morning before anybody else got up. He went off, uh, he went off to pray. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And uh, actually, that's a little, it really could be translated, and I think you get the feel of it better, if it were translated, hunted for him. I mean, they were, you know, I don't know if you've ever gotten up in the morning and expected your kids to be right there, and they weren't. (laughs) And so you kind of go, or someone you expected to be there, they were gone, and you begin to pursue them, you begin to hunt for them. And so that was the search, it was a frantic hunt, if you will. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, really another translation puts it, exclaimed to him, so you can feel the... uh, the, the tension there, uh, and, and said to him, everyone is looking for you. In other words, by the time everybody got up, every, everyone was there, meaning all the disciples and, and, and no doubt the, the crowds. And Jesus said to them, uh, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus had been praying and when he returns to this place where everybody's looking for him and, and, and the crowds are there and you get this sense that the disciples are saying, there's lots of people to be healed and there's more demons than you can shake a stick at. And which isn't the best approach, by the way. Uh, it's, a, it's just a figure of speech. And, uh, uh, and, and so you get that sense about it. But Jesus says, no, that's not why I came. I came to preach. Now you see, when, when Jesus, you know, you know bumper stickers, Jesus never did random acts of kindness, right? They were never random. They were always intentional. And he never did them, compassion and mercy and all of that, without preaching. Meaning, He never did them and left without a word. When he was compassionate and merciful, it was always in the context of the message that he came to declare, which was the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, whether that's explicit 
uh, in particular situations, as we read it in the scripture, from verse 38, it must always have been there. And he went out throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You see, when he went to preach, it didn't mean that he wasn't going to heal. When he went to preach, it didn't mean that he wasn't going to cast out demons. Uh, they, those sort of signs seemed to follow him, validating uh, that he really was the Son of God, validating that the kingdom of God really is near and all of that. But, 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 but he never wanted simply to do something that was merciful and gracious and kind and all of that and then leave without saying that this happens because the kingdom is near. And that because the kingdom is near, you need to repent, change everything, turn away from all that you weren't with it isn't of the kingdom of God and, and trust and believe the good news, this gospel, that the Messiah has come. And so, but, but I don't think it's, 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 it's a coincidence to say it positively. I think there's a link between Jesus praying and his focus. And his determination to get about the mission. Even in the midst of what I would say was good distraction. That is distraction to do good. I mean, wouldn't it be good to heal the rest that were there? Wouldn't it be good to continue to cast out the demons? Wouldn't it be good to respond to the crowd? And, and that would be good. But, but Jesus said, no, 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 I need to move. I need to move on. And I know that. I've been praying. I know that. And then in Mark in chapter 6. Verse 45. Immediately. Now this is right after. This immediately. Is right after Jesus fed all those thousands of people with just a little bit of food. You know that story. That incident. In the life of Jesus when there were 5,000 men. So who knows how many thousands of people. Because it was just the men. We know there were children. And I trust there were women as well. So the 5,000 men were counted. And you know the little boy had a little bit of food. Loaves and fishes. And Jesus, Jesus used that. And it just simply multiplied from his hand. So immediately. He made his disciples get into the boat. And go before him to the other side. To Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them. He went up on the mountain to pray. So again, big event. Big event. He sends his disciples along. And then he goes up. He goes up to pray. You might remember that in the way John records a bit more there. It's a little bit of detail. And he said the people wanted to make him king. He didn't bite on that. He prayed. You know, Satan always was coming at Jesus to try to get him to shortcut from the cross. This would be another shortcut. Okay, we'll just stop here. I'm king. This is good. I've convinced him. But, but no, that isn't how he was to be king by simply multiplying food and supplying all of that. So, so, but, but he prayed. He went to this desolate place. Uh, it says here, and he dismissed the crowd and he went up to the mountain, not a desolate place, went up on the mountain and he and he prayed. Then in, in Luke, in chapter 6, we find Jesus praying alone, praying quietly again. Luke chapter 6, left-hand column, bottom of the page, verse 12. 
It says, in, those, in these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. So this is, again, this is a common occurrence. And, and again, get it. I don't know how many times you've spent all night praying. My suspicions, if you spent all night praying, something horrible had happened. Right? Something that just moved you to where you couldn't sleep. Something moved you that you had to pray. You couldn't sleep. I mean, sometimes there are fasts that we have like that. It isn't that we've determined the fast. We just can't eat. You know, whatever it is that's, that's so troubling to us, or not only do we not want to take the time from our praying to eat, but we simply have no appetite. And sometimes we can't sleep. And so we, we get up and it's so troubling. All that we can do is pray. And so whatever it was that kept Jesus up all night, he was praying. But we know what happened afterwards. When he came down from his praying, he chose 12 out of all the disciples that were following him. And you get the sense, because of how this is all paired together in this passage, that, that, that Jesus was praying about who he would choose to be his 12 disciples. I can't imagine how that prayer went. Uh, I think, and this is me, I think I would have struggled long and hard about Judas. Really? Judas? That one? I don't know. But he prayed all night before that choosing of those, of those twelve. And then Luke in chapter 9 and verse 18. We read this. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Now, I find that an interesting sentence. I was having, uh, praying alone while they were with him. Uh, could simply mean that Luke's saying he was alone, but they were with him. You know, they had gone this place and he kind of went and he was praying alone. Although other times I think perhaps it meant what happens with me quite often is I'm with people, but I'm praying alone. I mean, I'm praying. I hope, it, I hope that's true for you. I don't know. I don't know if you pray in the grocery store. I usually do. You know, like, where is it uh, that I'm supposed to find? But, uh, but, uh, but, but praying, I, I'm, I'm in a crowd, but I'm still, still praying in some way. I trust that's, that's true for you. But he was praying alone. But, but then what follows is a discussion about his mission. See, these things seem tied together in, in, in ways. When Jesus comes off praying, there seems like something about his mission. Seems like when he's praying, he's focused. He comes back focused. And, and there he is. Um, so this is what happened as he was praying and the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And, and you know, that great scene where Peter is given this revelation from the Father that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then from that, Jesus goes on to share with them about his mission. He focuses them and he himself is focused about the fact that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to be 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 uh, uh, mistreated, if you will, by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And, and he, he's going to be beaten and he's going to be, be betrayed and he's going to die and he's going to rise from the dead. So all of that sort of comes off, flows out of this time of, 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 of prayer. And then, of course, we know this one in Luke in chapter 22, verse 39. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so Jesus was, had, was about to face 
what any reasonable, rational man would not want to face, not just simply death, but the wrath of God. And so he goes to pray and he links power over temptation with praying. He says to them, pray so you won't fall into temptation. And he goes off to pray. You know, the struggle that he had at that moment in time as a man facing the wrath of God. Could this, could this cup pass? Is there any other way? But he, he doesn't fall to any temptation. He yields to the will of his father. And we see it there. Now, what are we to make of this Jesus praying, praying alone. You see, I can kind of handle Jesus' public praying because I figure, well, he's just doing that as an example. In fact, even when he was at the tomb of Lazarus, he said, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not praying this for me. I'm praying this for them so that, so that they'll know, you know. And see, so I, I can sort of say, okay, Jesus, when you're praying in public, well, of course, but, but, but he's not praying in public here. I mean, unless we were told about this, we wouldn't know about this. It was alone. He, he didn't want anybody to hear him as he was praying. So you get the sense that this was not only important to Jesus, but could we say it this way, that praying was necessary for Jesus. So, so why was it necessary for Jesus to pray? Well, it was necessary to Jesus for Jesus to pray because, because he was a man. Was he God? Yes. As our creed says, very God and very man. Or as Philippians chapter 2. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Now, he didn't empty himself of his deity, his nature of being God, but he emptied himself, if you will, of the glory that was due him as deity. He was in the form of God, but he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He says, I'm not going to grasp a hold of my equality with God, but I'm going to empty myself and I'm going to humble myself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of man. And when he was made in the likeness of man, then he took upon our weakness. And even, if you will, he took upon himself his need to pray. Now, we can say it like this, that Jesus is the model human being. He's the model human being. We, we've said he's the second Adam. And so, actually, I didn't say that. Paul did. Um, but so, so Paul said, that's better, isn't it? Uh, he's the second Adam. And so uh, he comes to undo everything that Adam did wrong. See? And to restore to us everything that Adam lost. And so we look at him, and, and he is this example, he is this model, and we, and we see him in this, this really need to pray. And, and we think, well, what did he say when he was alone? Well, we know what he said when he was in public, because it's recorded to us in various ways, especially John 17, you know, that great high priestly prayer, as, as he prays to be restored to the glory that was his, as he, as he prays for his disciples that God would keep them and sanctify them, uh, as he, he prays for us, that is, for all the people who would, who would believe through them, which is all Christians after them, and that, they, that we would be one, and that we would be one with, with those apostles, and we would believe what they 
taught and believed what they believed and, and we would hold that same faith as they held and that, that we would be one together even as the Father and the Son are one and all of that. But you wonder, what is it that he, that he said in those alone times? We don't know. But you know, there was one occasion when Jesus came out from praying and the disciples looked at him and said, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. There's something about Jesus praying that caught their attention. Now they said, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And all they meant by that was, you know, every rabbi teaches their, their people to pray. John taught his people to pray. So you should be teaching us to pray. So teach us to pray here. And you know what Jesus said to them? He taught them to pray. Gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. I always think when I, when I hear that expression, ours, how kind of it, how kind of it, uh, of Jesus it was to include us. He could have said, my Father, and then we'd have gone, yes, you're right. But he said, our Father. And then all of a sudden, you see, he's, he's, he's sucking us in. He's, he's bringing us in, you see. He says, he says when you pray, our Father. Now, you, you, you need him as your father. You need to know him, that he is your father. And as we would learn, he is only the father of those who believe in Jesus. The Apostle John says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become or to be called children of God. We're not of the flesh, not of the blood of a human being, but, but, but born of the will of God. That, that's it, you see. And so he says, if you know God as Father, then you can pray. And, then, and we know we pray in the name of Jesus. We sort of tack that on, but it's not a tack on at all. It's an admittance. Because I'm only praying, I'm only coming to you. In the name of, in the person of, because of Jesus. That he's won the right for me to be heard. He's reconciled me to you. I don't come in my own name, but I come in the name of Jesus. You are my father because of him. Holy is your name. And then you see that focuses all of a sudden. You see, this prayer is a prayer of request, but it's also a prayer, if I could put it this way, of focus. Because you see, it, it, when I begin to pray, you see, if, if I just begin to pray without, without thinking about this prayer, then I, I just start making, I just start laying out my list of everything at the moment that's important to me. Now, usually as I do that, I, I get convicted and I go, well, maybe this isn't exactly all that important. Or maybe this isn't on God's agenda for the moment. Uh, maybe, you know, that parking place that I need. With that basket the Jayhawks need, you know. Don't look at me like you don't pray during games. Um, but, um, but it focuses you. See, now wonder, just wondering. Wonder is Jesus prayed if it wasn't a moment of focus that even he is a man needed in the midst of all the busyness and all the crowds and all the distractions. That he went away and said, I need to get away. I need to pray. I need to be in the presence of my father. 
See, one of the things that prayer does for us in, in this focus uh, of, of God is holy. He's the one to be glorified. But it puts me consciously in his presence. At least it should. Now, I say consciously in his presence because we're always in his presence. And this isn't the only place that we are consciously in his presence. When we worship, we're, I hope we're consciously in his presence. When we read the scripture, we're consciously in his presence. When, when we speak of him, when we talk to one another about the things of God, we're Consciously, I hope, in his presence. But, but praying, you see, is, 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 is a moment where, where if we're not consciously in his presence, then we're not praying. And so there's this sense, you see, I'm, I'm in the, I'm consciously in the presence of God, our Father. It's the sense of communion. Prayer is more than that, but it isn't less than that. And, and you get this sense, I trust this is true in your life. That through busyness and distraction and all of that, I don't know, I, I suspect there are times when you begin to dry up. And, and, and you may, Jesus didn't because he was Jesus. But you may, I may, try to fill that dryness with other things. So we might watch a television show or read a book or we might take a walk or do something. But, 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 but push comes to shove. What we need is to pray. To just be alone in the, just sit with God. By the way, could I, this is an aside, could I recommend this space when you get like that? The offices are open from like nine to four every day. And if you have opportunity during the day, this is a great place to sit. It's quiet. It's usually cold too. It's dark sometimes. But you come in, it's just a great place to but to, but to consciously be in the presence of God. That's the sense of prayer. Don't you get the sense that Jesus, he needed that. It was, it was his heartbeat. It was his delight. It was his strength. It was his, and so he went and would be alone. And our Father in heaven, you are holy. Okay, that's it. That's it. Everything. How am I to glorify you? How is everything? To, oh, it's your kingdom that's to come. It's your will that's to be done. Okay, I get it. So whatever it is, it's on my mind. Whatever it is I'm praying about, whatever it is that he would be praying about, don't you know that it was informed by the fact that, that God is holy. He's the one to be glorified. That's the goal of it all, if you will. And, and that it's, it's, it's his kingdom, not mine, and his will to be done. I'm not praying to ask God to bring to pass my will or my rule, but I'm praying to God that he'll bring to pass his rule and his will. That's it, isn't it? Okay. That often changes my list, by the way. Probably didn't change Jesus's because his list was right from the get-go. But mine, not so much. Give us this day our daily bread. I think of Jesus even praying that. Here he was. He was utterly dependent upon his father. And he's the same guy that could make... You know, feed thousands out of a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, but still. Forgive us our debts. Unless Jesus was a Methodist, it would be trespasses at that moment. But uh, forgive us our debts. They say Jesus didn't have any debts, he didn't have any sins, that's true. But remember, he came and, he, and as he prayed, no doubt he knew Everybody but him had sins to be forgiven. And he would intercede on behalf of 
others, as we intercede on behalf of others when we pray. Forgive us our debts, even as we've forgiven. Jesus would know those words only too much. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He knew temptation. He was dependent upon his father for deliverance as a man facing temptation. I I don't know how much that informed Jesus' sort of outline, but that's the outline he gave uh, when he taught at that moment in time. Now, at this point in this sermon, here's what I'm supposed to say. I'm supposed to say, Since Jesus needed to pray, how much more we? Right? That's what I'm supposed to say. Since he needed to pray, surely we need to pray. And, 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 and even more so. And then, then you see, I could kind of, I could lay it on thick. I could say things like Martin Luther once said, or was said of Martin Luther that if he was going to have a busy day, he got up five hours early to pray. Or that John Wesley once said, I never trust a man who doesn't pray four hours a day. Or the one that always gets me. It's from Robert Murray McShane, who says, who said once, What a man is alone before God on his knees, that he is, and no more. And then I feel horrible. Right? Now, the truth of the matter is, I don't pray enough. The truth of the matter, you don't pray enough. And the truth of the matter is, if we leave this place resolved to pray more, that's a good thing. So, so, so we've done that part of the sermon. Well, let me give you, though, the part of the sermon you need before that. The part of the sermon you need before that, the part of the sermon that I need before that is this. That Jesus has never failed to pray. And that his praying is what enables us to pray. And his praying is for, it counts for us. What I mean by that is that that's the gospel. He for us. You see, he's never failed to pray. He always has prayed. You remember Peter? You know, Peter on the, the night that Jesus was betrayed said, Listen, Lord, uh, everybody else is gonna, gonna, gonna desert you, but not me. Now, Peter should have been praying. Peter should have been saying, Oh God, help me not desert the master on this night. I know my weakness. I know the, 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 the opposition and, and I know that I can succumb to that. But in his self-righteousness, he, he wouldn't have prayed for a second that prayer. That prayer would have never crossed his mind. He would have stood before God as he stood before Jesus and said, I'll never, ever, I'll never betray him. What did Jesus say? Peter. You don't know the half of it. Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But don't be, don't worry. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now, the point is, should Peter have prayed? Yep, 
did he know? Who did? Jesus. We need to know that he's never failed. We've failed, but he's never failed. And in fact, the scripture says that he lives to pray for us. He lives to intercede for us. So he's still praying for us. So even still, could I say it like this? When I fail to pray, even now, Jesus doesn't fail to pray. Now, you might be thinking, you shouldn't tell me that, Bill, so now I'm not going to pray ever. I mean, <laughs> if Jesus is always praying and he's always praying, right? Then, then I'm off. I'm, I'm scot-free. I, I don't have to pray at all. And let me tell you that if it isn't our belief that Jesus never fails to pray that keeps us from praying. In fact, if you believe that Jesus never fails to pray, it will make you pray more. That's the gospel. He for me. You see, when we say that Jesus is obedient where we're disobedient, that shouldn't cause us to be disobedient, should it? No, it should cause us to be obedient. Why? Because we we know that we can trust him and and he'll help us in obedience. And we know that since he prays and he never fails to pray and he's perfect at praying, then we know that he'll help us even as we pray. In fact, he says, I'll give you my spirit who will intercede for you with words too deep, groanings too deep for words. He'll come and he'll help you. There was a church father, I don't know what he he would be, end of uh, Chrysostom, fourth century gave this illustration and he said he said it's, it's like this he says there's a young boy and his his dad's coming back from war and so he wants to pick a bouquet for his dad and so he goes out and like a little 10 year old boy he picks everything that's close to looking like a flower and he sticks it in the dirt and and he takes it and he shows his mom and he says, I want to give this to dad when he comes home. And so mom says, that's great. And, and while the boy goes back at the place, he says, you know what? I could rearrange this. You know what? I could, I could take out this. This is a weed. This is dead. So I'll take this out and I'll, and I'll rearrange it. And so then when the little boy comes to present the bouquet to his father, it's beautiful. Because his mom is interceded. <laughs> and you see, that's, he says, that's what I do. I, I know how to do this. I know how to pray. I'm good at this. I never fail. So you see, when you begin to pray, when you come to me, when you, when you begin to pray, when you pray through me, when you, when you come to pray, I'll help you. Even in your prayers, I'll, I'll take what you say. I'll deliver it to my father. I'll take what you say. I'll take out the weeds. I'll, take, I'll rearrange it. I'll put it in a way. And, and over time, you'll learn. You'll learn. You'll, you'll, you'll get better at this, you see. And when you forget to pray, when you neglect to pray, when you sinfully don't think you need to pray, I'm still praying for you. So if you haven't prayed in a while, there's nothing to make up for. I've filled it all in. I've done it all for you. So so trust me. And I think if we believe that, if we believe That he really does pray. And if we believe that he's never failed to pray. If we really believe that 
prays for us. And if we really believe that his prayers count for our praying, I think we'll pray. I think we'll pray. Because you see, that's the gospel. He, for us, I'm not trusting in myself. Self, I'm not trusting that I'm a good prayer. I'm, I'm not trusting that I'm a faithful prayer. I'm not trusting any of that. I'm trusting that Jesus is. I'm trusting that he prays. I'm trusting that he's a faithful prayer. And I trust in his praying. In his interceding. In his help for us. And I think that's the point he made. He said the night that he was betrayed, the scripture tells us he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and he said, my body for you. Not your body for you. But my body will count for yours. The same way he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. He said, My my blood will count for yours. Me for you. Trust me. And we need to trust him in all things, even... In our praying, trust him. He'll never fail you. He'll never fail to pray. He'll never fail to pray that which is exactly right. At the exact time, it needs to be prayed. You will fail. I will fail. My life, thankfully, It's not weighed in the balance by my praying. But when I know that, it makes me want to pray. Because I realize ultimately, I can't fail at this. Because Jesus is helping me. I can't fail at this because he's taking this and he's offering this prayer. I can't fail at this, you see. Because he, for me, Let's pray, Father. (laughs) In our weakness, in our inability, in our desire to speak that which is right, yet knowing even the sin that resides in us, we pray, Jesus, Take that which I say now and even the prayers coming up now from others. Take it and make it right. What I know to say is thank you. What I know to say is please take this bread and this this juice and use it in a way that we know that we're in your presence, Jesus, that you're really here, that you're really alive. Use it in a way 
that would enable us to deepen our faith in you. Use it in a way that would cause us to trust you even more. Use it in a way that would strengthen us and, 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 and focus our attention on who you are and what you call us to as, as, as your people, as your children, as followers and uh, disciples. And so I pray, God, that you would use it too to unite us together as we come on to feed from you from one loaf. Strengthen our faith. So I pray you would do that. Jesus, even as you intercede for us now, I trust that all I should have said and all I meant to say and and all that is good and right to say that you've said. And that your will would be done at this table, in this moment, in Jesus' name. Amen.